from Movendi International, I'm Mike Dünnbier. This is the Alcohol Issues podcast. It's Friday, October 9th, 2020, and we are back after a short hiatus. Welcome to the fifth episode of the Alcohol Issues podcast, our weekly conversation about the latest alcohol issues in policy and science and new alcohol industry revelations. Every episode we are also bringing you an in-depth conversation about alcohol issues of global importance. Last week we celebrated World Alcohol Free Day on October 3rd with a special online event discussing the alcohol norm and how to change it. That's why we did not release a podcast episode. But this week we are back with another awesome conversation and the weekly news highlights. This week we highlight four alcohol issues that we think deserve special attention. In alcohol policy news we talk about the first indications of success with minimum unit pricing in Wales and we discuss what happens to alcohol harm when Uber comes to town. In this week's Science Digest we look at new research into risk factors for adolescent alcohol use and trajectories of alcohol harm in adult life. And in the Big Alcohol Watch we expose how Coca-Cola is pushing into alcohol markets around the world, targeting youth and women. But first, we begin with an in-depth conversation with another special guest. This week we are joined by Niole Gostautai de Mitun. Niole is the president of the Lithuanian Tobacco and Alcohol Control Coalition, NTAKK. In my conversation with Niole, we follow up on a topic that Dark Rekwe from the World Health Organization raised in the first two episodes of the Alcohol Issues podcast. National alcohol policy making success stories. Dark talked about Russia, but of course, there are more countries and Lithuania is one of the most remarkable success stories in the world when it comes to alcohol policy making. And Niole has been right in the center of advocacy for evidence-based alcohol laws in Lithuania in recent years. So with Niole we are getting into the weeds of alcohol policy making. We talk about the alcohol burden in Lithuania and why the country needed to address alcohol urgently. We also discuss in detail what the alcohol policy solutions entail and which barriers and obstacles had to be overcome. And Niole shares some insights into public opinion today regarding the alcohol laws. We discuss past, present and even explore the future of alcohol policy making in Lithuania. This and much more is coming up now. Niole, who are you? It's uh, it's a very long, uh, uh, it would be a very long tale, but uh, <laughs> today I represent the Lithuanian Tobacco and Alcohol Control Coalition, which is the largest legal association uh, working in the public health area. We have uh, over 35 um, uh, member organizations and uh, more than 10 local partners to, and uh, we work in the area of uh, evidence-based 
effective measures for controlling and prevention of use of all psychoactive substances and also gambling and other addictions. So we work very broadly in the field of policy, of control policy. And um, what is your role in this coalition? So I'm the, I'm the president of, of the Lithuanian Tobacco and Alcohol Control Coalition. And um, my role is uh, overall strategy and, uh, and uh, coordination. But it is a um, it is an organization that works um, uh, where which is technically represented by the board. We have a very strong board. We have uh, scientists. We have advocates. We have uh, medical practitioners, mm. and we cooperate very closely in a cost-effective manner to deliver advocacy measures in Lithuania. And this is already very interesting that. Uh, you are working in this uh, very broad network that brings together so many as, uh, experts from so many different areas. And you know, traditionally or usually, um, alcohol gets much less attention compared to tobacco. And in, in your network in Lithuania, you are dealing with both issues. So how come that you have uh, done so much uh, good work on alcohol control? Mm. You're absolutely right. And the coalition actually started, it started working with tobacco issues and alcohol came in later. And um, in a way it's logical because alcohol um, is a very important risk factor, uh, but it is, uh, it is more difficult to tackle. It is much more entrenched in society. It is much more acceptable culturally. And therefore, mm, it is quite challenging. It's quite challenging to, to tackle. So, uh, whereas tobacco is um, is a is a very clearly harmful substance, which also has international treaties that are helping already. So you have some political and policy guidance which is evidence based. Whereas in alcohol, uh, all this uh, evidence based for control policy uh, has accumulated accumulated and uh, gained acceptance quite slowly. Uh, but we do believe that uh, both tobacco and alcohol are are as important in, in a way, and uh, it does take most of the time. I think the main competition uh, from the um, policy point of view, and especially when dealing with the politicians, is the discussion: Do we? Why don't we focus on drugs? Mm. Which is which is another issue. However, in Lithuania, the preferred drug of the day is alcohol. Yeah, and I wanted to then already go into this topic. So I think this is a, a very good uh, overall landscaping, so to say, the, the tobacco burden in Lithuania, the alcohol burden. Of course, I think people in Europe, for sure, people around the world know that Lithuania is one of the, used to be one of the heaviest alcohol consuming countries in the world, even as former Soviet Union satellite a country there. So what is what is the the burden of alcohol on Lithuanian society that uh, you and your colleagues then started to react to? I don't think I don't think there was a, a point in time that is kind of very specific. Now we have to 
uh, do something about alcohol. Uh, this was the point, uh, this was understood very well in Lithuania for a very long time. Mm. And I have to admit it goes even uh, further back. It goes back to um, some of the reforms that were introduced by Gorbachev, uh, which technically pushed uh, very heavy control measures, which were even called the small prohibition. So it was kind of um, a rehearsal for what was to what uh, what measures we could use later, but that shows a little bit of the historic perspective. Is that we have known about the um, effective control policy for, for quite some time, and uh, from time to time, uh, in different countries, these measures start gaining popularity because exactly because of the burden that is becoming unbearable to the society to continue with. And uh, this has happened during the Tsarist Russia, this has happened during the Gorbachev time, and this has also happened in Lithuania in 1995, when we have, uh, for the first time, we had uh, established a Lithuanian alcohol control law. Mm. So it was very clear that uh, consumption is completely is rising very fast. The harm is rising very fast, and uh, the most uh, important was the was the um, mortality, the the avoidable mortality, which is the saddest thing of all. Is there are deaths that you cannot avoid. There are deaths by old age. Uh, uh, there are some illnesses that we still cannot treat. But when you know that the death is preventable and avoidable, uh, that makes it, it very sad. So we yeah. did have extreme amounts of excess deaths. And uh, also just to illustrate in them, also during this latest period, um, because we did not have very many studies which would uh, specifically measure the burden of alcohol. Mm. But in 2016, it was measured, the study was done. And it was estimated at about uh, 320 million euros every year is lost to, due to alcohol consumption. And that translates to nearly 1% of the Lithuanian GDP, which is impressive uh, and uh, notoriously impressive. Yeah. And at that time, it was also that all, um, out of all mortality, about 8% were due to alcohol consumption. And that translates to about... 3,000 deaths, which uh, 2,500 are deaths of males. So it is, um, we had a very strong uh, gender inequality in, 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 that, uh, in that issue. So really the majority of uh, deaths from alcohol affects men. So that, that is, the, again, uh, another, another piece of landscape or another layer of landscape, this burden the excess mortality, the deaths that affect very strongly men, huge financial burden uh, for, for a country that has not, that is, is relatively poor, that does not have very much money. So these are uh, the issues that are, that is really worth uh, yeah. trying to change the course. Yeah. And it's, uh, I think, quite impressive, so to say, to imagine that in such a small country, such a high mortality, that must be affecting uh, families, uh, almost all families where, you know, especially men are then disappearing, so to say, as you're saying, that 
these are also deaths that can be actually prevented. Yeah. And so I, I wanted to follow up and ask, is this then, as you were explaining the historic background, is there then a reaction from the public or more from the professionals or actually from the politicians who uh, then pushed for uh, the need to actually do something about this heavy burden? Again, it's, it's also interesting to see both historically uh, who were the drivers in, in, in these changes and, yeah. uh, and who, what can be the driver in these changes. And what is, I will start with the, the most recent example, which is, um, which is a little bit um, strange and interesting. For example, when we were, for quite a number of years, uh, we were number one, uh, notoriously the most alcohol-consuming country per capita uh, of the population. Yeah. And, um, and that was not something that Lithuanians were, um, wanted to be associated with. So mm. media and industry has used that, how to say, that uh, fact, uh, they used it very heavily to tell that uh, this, is, um, this is very wrong, this uh, paints Lithuania black, this uh, actually ruins our reputation and we should either hide it or we should actually recalculate because there is something wrong with these calculations and uh, so so that did not help for example to inspire changes in let's say industry this did not they were they wanted to continue to to have uh, to have no control or less control mm. Industry portrayed the fact that Lithuania is rated as number one in the WHO ratings for their uh, alcohol consumption. So they uh, framed it as shameful, but wrong. Hmm. That they have tried to increase um, mistrust to WHO. They said the statistics is wrong, the calculations are wrong, the scientists are wrong, and maybe they're even biased. So, um, so this was an interesting way to frame because on one hand, it's acceptance that it is shameful to be consuming so much alcohol. On the other hand, it is industry because we have our local, local industry, we have international industry also uh, of producers and uh, retailers in, in Lithuania. Um, so they only, they only wanted it to go away. And mm -hmm. what is interesting is that we're still a very heavily consuming country, but I think we're among the top five. And now nobody, nobody's talking about it anymore. It's kind of, it's unimportant. Being in the top five, among top five, is, is not less, so much less harmful. It is relatively less harmful. We are um, getting good results, but at the same time, uh, in comparison with other countries. We're still worse off than 95% of countries that are measured. So, yeah. you know, so again, um, so, so again, this framing is, is, is a little interesting. What has really pushed uh, um, the need for, for having a better control policy? It, initially, it came from the new statesmen. Uh, Lithuania regained independence in, in 1994. That's quite early in the independence uh, uh, building. We have uh, had already a law 
which has introduced um, a very modern uh, alcohol control policy measures. It, uh, it was about licensing, it was about uh, potentially state monopoly. We were looking up to Scandinavian uh, countries um, in, in, in learning better ways to control it. It was also about the price and the pricing. It was about accessibility. It was about the age limits, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah. these were all signs of modern, modern policy. And then later, again, due to alcohol industry interference, it got chipped away. And we could see actually changes with every chipping away. You allow a little bit more advertising. You increase the number of hours for retail and you see the harm go up. And then again, you include uh, better controls, better implementation, you increase the price and you see the harm to go down. So in Lithuania, we had, um, we had all these waves of uh, better control policies and more liberal or worse control policies, which affected the harm levels and the burden levels. Mm experience from alcohol. This latest push uh, came actually as a public initiative. Mm. Uh, it uh, collected 60, over 60,000 signatures of normal citizens. And therefore, this initiative had to be discussed in the parliament and decided upon. So this was the threshold that uh, a citizen's initiative could wow. be discussed. So if you could explain this, uh, this is for sure very impressive that there are 60,000 people that um, get involved in this discussion. And I thought it's very interesting uh, to understand from you that there is this high alcohol burden in Lithuania, which means that people in society, they know it, probably they might be even more or less directly affected by some kind of alcohol harm by this high mortality. And at the same time, the alcohol industry is working against this kind of public awareness with their framing of uh, some of the scientific findings, as you mentioned. So how does this play out? How come that then this uh, petition initiative is so successful? Uh, what happened in the collective understanding in, in Lithuania? Um, one, one reason is probably that uh, very many, there are very many people who have uh, one way or another directly or indirectly are suffering from alcohol harm. Yeah. They have a family member who is drinking too much. They have a family member who is addicted. We in Lithuania we had uh, and still have the highest suicide rate in uh, in the world, uh, or at least in Europe. Uh, we have fires. We have traffic accidents. We have injuries. We have injuries at work and in traffic. We have um, we have crimes, uh, thefts, and hooliganism and. Uh, by violence, uh, we have uh, really high levels of violence against family, uh, in, against children, against women in the families, and um, so a lot of people have experienced uh, a lot of people have experienced this uh, harm from alcohol. 
And so then this conversation uh, enters the parliament and um, the discussion unfolds there. Ultimately, what are the measures um, that Lithuania adopts then uh, to tackle this uh, burden that you have described now? Hmm. So again, it, it, it also went in stages, but if we take the last, uh, last five years, which are the most uh, interesting in a way from the international policy perspective, is that since 2016, from January the 1st, 2016, there is no alcohol sales in petrol stations. This was kind of the first very strong, uh, strong step. The next one was also, also introduced uh, around the same time. It was um, um, discount campaigns were not allowed. Excise tax was increased in 2017 uh, quite, uh, uh, quite substantially. Then the legal age to purchase and consume alcohol was increased from 18 to 20 years. And that happened the 1st of January, 2018. It was also the time when we restricted the off-premise sales, so within shorter hours uh, when you can buy alcohol. And um, basically, it went uh, down from 10 a.m. to 8, um, 8 p.m. Monday to Saturday. So again, it's, it's quite a short day. And then uh, much shorter, from 10 to 3 p.m. on Sunday. Mm. So... So it has really restricted access. And the most uh, or very interesting for us was a total ban on alcohol advertising because it's an interesting measure. On one hand, it is, uh, it is well recommended. Uh, on the other hand, in many places, it has been thought that it's difficult to implement. Mm. However, we have, um, uh, since 2018, we had a total ban on alcohol advertising in all media, including digital media media as well. Mm -hmm. So these are the kind of the latest developments um, in, the, in the alcohol control policy. And what we've seen is that um, in 2016, 17 and 18, consumption levels have dropped by one, approximately one liter per year per, um, uh, per capita population above uh, 15 years old. So it's quite a dramatic drop uh, yeah. when, you, when you think about it. Now this um, reduction has slowed, but we will see what is the effect of COVID and, uh, and also the economical slowdown, which also might have some impact, impact on that. Yeah. So this is quite a comprehensive uh, policy package. Uh, as you mentioned in the beginning, it addresses um, the price of alcohol through the taxation increases. Uh, it addresses the marketing of alcohol, both when it comes to the uh, campaigns for uh, discounts and of course, um, the total ban on advertising. And as you said, it uh, contains also the availability, I think the age limit, but also the discontinuation of selling alcohol in petrol stations and lowering the hours of sales in the off-premise. Um, was the alcohol industry happy about this uh, very comprehensive package? Did they cheer everybody on? Oh no, oh no, this was, uh, 
this was really, uh, how to say, it was a, a storm, a storm in the media. Uh, it was, uh, a, how to say, the policymakers, the policymakers, they were called Taliban, for example. They, yeah. they claimed that both uh, joy and rock and roll will leave the country because of these alcohol restrictions that we are um leaving uh, the realm of civilized countries where which can which are allowed to drink that uh, the foreigners will not understand the tourists will not understand so uh, there were claims that the tourism will stop that um, tv stations will leave the country that um, producers and uh, retailers will start moving from the country so um none of these horror stories actually happened uh, but uh, the narrative was very strong and they, they still continue. And every time there is a proposal for, for new restriction or, um, or discussions about the new restrictions, they always use the same, the same narrative, that it will get worse, that if we restrict, somehow people will drink more. Also, they are using researchers. Uh, this year, uh, we had a, um, uh, researchers in economy, in economic science, coming out with a study that they have done themselves without involving anybody from public health side or involving anybody who has uh, worked with uh, um, kind of real alcohol policy research before. Mm. And they just claimed that um, uh, even though the alcohol consumption numbers are declining since people since their surveys show that uh, people drink more so they just claimed that despite the facts they believe that people drink more they drink more harmfully and therefore these policies should be uh, discontinued mm. we should just stop them we should decrease the excise tax we should reduce the uh, reduce the other measures and uh, kind of go back to normal so in they have published articles they have not published this latest research but they have published articles before uh, claiming that uh, control policy measures don't work even though their own numbers show that actually alcohol consumption is going down mm. And so, so again, the, both um, the narratives, they not necessarily are actual. The narratives that um, are also paid by uh, alcohol industry, maybe indirectly, in some cases, probably very directly, um, they do not necessarily have facts on their side. They do not necessarily have their science on the side. But, um, but the narratives are that it doesn't work. And... Um, and that's it. So it should be discontinued. It's not good. However, uh, it's um, the facts are so strong that uh, it, it is becoming a little bit, a um, uh, little bit strange to be ignored in such a fashion. Because, as I said, for the past some years, between 2016 and 2018, alcohol consumption drops by three liters. Mm. This is dramatic. In addition, the budget has more money. Every year we have managed to collect more money from the 
from the excise tax. And, um, and that has really been quite helpful. So everybody is happy. Also, even, even the, um, the profits of uh, industry have not gone down quite dramatically as they have claimed. And in many cases, it went up, especially for the big producers. So at the same time, mortality has gone, gone down dramatically. We also have influence uh, over life expectancy. Life expectancy mm. is increasing in the thing. And we have a lot of other benefits that we see uh, that are related to these um, positive effects of alcohol control policy. So we have fewer fires, fewer traffic accidents, fewer deaths in traffic accidents, fewer injuries. Uh, we have uh, violence is lower, quality of life is going up. So it, it, it is interesting because the facts are all positive. There are barely any negative facts out of this. And um, however, it's kind of uh, still a secret. It seems like uh, very few people know about these uh, fantastic measures and about the fact that they work. Aha, uh -huh. and that is very interesting because I was just going to ask you now, as you also explained uh, before, I think in this actually very um, powerful way that almost every family in Lithuania is affected by some form of alcohol harm. You mentioned the suicides, the crime, the violence. And with these very impressive reductions now, um, do you think that the experience has also changed for people that life is somehow better, that uh, you now you mentioned life expectancy or um, th that people can actually feel the, the benefit of uh, the alcohol control measures implemented? Or what do people tell you when, when, you, uh, when you are in the community? It's, it's still quite controversial. It, it depends on which circles you're in and mm. uh, how people, younger people uh, normally want less controls, older people want more controls. But it is um, overall, uh, acceptance is quite positive. And uh, we have to note as well that alcohol control policy measures are gaining acceptance. People are valuing them more positively as the time goes by. Mm. In a very, very similar fashion as it happened when uh, it was prohibited to smoke inside, in the pubs, in the cafes and, and, and restaurants. Initially, there was uh, uh, quite, negative, uh, uh, quite negative opinions about the potential effects of the measure, and later they turned positive. Here, it's about uh, many of the policy measures, people had quite positive uh, view towards the assessment was quite quite positive but now it is even increasing yeah. so for example one of the most positively viewed um, measures is the increase of the sales and consumption age up to 20 years and uh, this probably reflects very well the prevalent notion in the society that we have to protect our young that it is difficult to protect our young as a family as an individual you don't have uh, that much power uh, when there is a powerful industry, when there is uh, advertising, when um, 
you don't control your child's life when they're out on the streets, in the pubs, in the in the, in the parties, in the recreational settings, in school even. So this need and wanting to protect the young uh, is actually valued very, very well. Uh, so that is interesting. And this measure has gained acceptance from, it was less than 50%, which accepted before the measure was taken. And then now we have nearly 70% of respondents in the, in a representative survey, which say that they positively view this measure. Mm. So it, it's, it's, quite a, it's quite a change, and a change to, to a positive direction. Also, um, uh, we found out that um, the least positive uh, um, outlook towards the people have uh, towards the reduction of time, uh, reduction of retail time. Mm. Because that is uh, kind of the constant irritation that comes up. You That's know. inconvenient. Yeah. Stop. It's inconvenient. So this inconvenience is, uh, is, um, is not so positively viewed, but still uh, about, um, about 50% of people believe that this has the positive effects and it's, this is useful and they, and they uh, assess that positively. And more I think than, uh, more than 62%, uh, they're really positive about the ban of alcohol advertising. Wow. And it has also increased. So there is acceptance and there is support for these alcohol control measures. So again, for politicians who really, who really want and value population support, they mm. should think that these are the magical measures because on one hand, you really save lives, you improve health and quality of life. You also gain more money for the budget so you get richer and in addition people are happy about it uh, also what is interesting that between 2018 and between uh, and 2020 what has happened uh, in relation also in the surveys uh, about the alcohol control policy measures is that uh, 35 percent of people said that uh, they believe that due to these measures their um, surrounding quality, uh, the quality of their environment has improved. So, you know, less noise, less, uh, um, less um, violence. Yeah. Yeah. And you said 35%? Yes. Isn't that 35%, low? 35% said that it, it has improved. Well, you have to remember that people live in different uh, environments. In some mm -hmm. environments, maybe it does not have very much effect. Mm. I cannot actually say which particular areas because this was an anonymous um, and uh, and I don't think it was, uh, uh, I don't think we have data on um, on a specific area or region or, you know, town, but in some areas, this, um, these measures might have very little effect, but in mm. poor areas, this might have quite a dramatic effect. So mm. 35, that 35% in representative surveys say that they believe that specifically due to these alcohol control policy measures, that their living environment has improved. Yeah. It's, uh, it's quite a good result. Yeah. And I also think that the, this point and the previous point that you made 
um, shows that people, communities actually want to protect against alcohol harm, but they welcome the support from um, their lawmakers from these population level measures because they cannot do it all by themselves. They cannot uh, improve all their environments all by themselves. And as you were saying, they cannot improve the livelihoods, protect the livelihoods of their uh, children like that. Mm -hmm. So I think that was very interesting. And uh, it's quite remarkable to hear about uh, the increasing acceptance and support for these key alcohol policy solutions. And probably that's why the alcohol industry is afraid of this, because as they become normalized, as they become part of the understanding of Lithuanian society, there is less interest in um, chipping away on them as the alcohol industry is lobbying for. Uh, would you agree with that? Uh, alcohol industry is very resourceful. They mm. are creative, they are really able, and they have a lot of money. Mm. So, no, I don't think that uh, the pressure to revoke measures will stop. Also, we have to understand that all measures, they lose their power over time. So, in many ways, industry might just wait and just work on not having any more restrictions. Mm. And that will be enough just to, again, have a slow increase in consumption. Mm. Um, so, so that in this way, they're very powerful. The point is that it, as long as we have alcohol um, legal, very easily available, um, and it is an addictive substance, we will always have as advocates, as policymakers, as politicians, as healthcare professionals, we will always have to push for a little bit more and stronger policy measures to keep the ever-present industry away and to keep the harm lower. Because we can see that the moment you reduce the control policy measures, the, when they get a little bit less strict, when they find new ways of advertising, for example, when they have new ways of accessibility, the harm just soars. It just goes up. We see that every time. So, so I don't, I don't think that industry will stop. This is their livelihood. This is yeah. their profit. This is money. So no, I don't think they will stop. Uh, we might make make it more difficult. Uh, the sad thing is that it costs as well. It costs uh, human resources. It costs money. It costs uh, time to actually push back, push back the alcohol consumption tide. So, so. Yeah, there's a lot of work ahead. There's no, there's yeah. no way we can uh, simply rest. You are never done. And I thought that this point that you now made uh, came, came up already before when you were talking about the historical background in Lithuania, which I think shows very clearly that this kind of deregulation lobbying from the alcohol industry has uh, costs for human lives uh, rather directly. Uh, you talked about 1995 and uh, these years when they were chipping away this kind of modern alcohol regulation and what is happening now. And on this point, um, my final question is then for developing this um, comprehensive alcohol policy solutions package that you have now, 
um, going into the future, what is it that you are looking at? What is it that you are advocating for? And you mentioned that historically Lithuania has looked to Scandinavia to learn from these success stories uh, in Northern Europe. So what is it that uh, you are working on or that you think should happen um, going forward? Um, one thing is very clear, that the price, uh, price issue for alcohol is a very important, uh, it's a very important measure. Mm. If you manage to increase the price, if you manage to increase the taxation so that it does affect the price, you have a lower consumption. So uh, what we focus on and uh, what we're trying to have in Lithuania is that um, uh, the purchasing power uh, when it goes up, that we mm. have also the taxation to go up and yeah. the price of alcohol to go up. So for us, it is, it is important to find a balance which still uh, reduces alcohol consumption. Because at least in the countries which, are, which have regained independence or relatively new countries, uh, our living standard is constantly going up. People have more money. So after a while, these price increases, they lose their ability to lower the consumption. Mm. So that is one area we're focusing on having a regular tax increases that also help to keep the trend of lowering consumption alive. So that is one area that we can do internally and which is very important. But then, the, especially in EU, the cross-border issues come up. Mm. So our, another very important focus is the, is the cross-border uh, cross um, trade and sales because uh, in one market, it's very difficult to, to avoid having situations where in the neighboring country, it is a little bit cheaper and people start importing and they're starting to abuse the import quotas, etc. So we focus also on uh, making it, um, uh, solving some of these issues so that we can actually protect our population, even if other countries decide not to. At the same time, it is important to, to work with other countries to show the good example that it is possible, that it is yeah. actually getting more and more difficult to say, uh, to explain to your own population, why don't you lower alcohol consumption in your own country and alcohol harm in your country when the simplest thing and the cheapest thing is just to use the three best buys of WHO. Yeah. And that is price availability and uh, banning of advertising and that that should work in any country and we already see so many successful countries so so we're working on these cross-border issues another issue that is bothering us and is is, is quite difficult is the uh, new and created advertising mm -hmm. which is mostly using uh, non-alcoholic beverages and uh, mostly non-alcoholic beer and it is flooding it's simply flooding the media uh, in, in, you know, and, and we do think it's deliberate because at least in Lithuania, most of the brands, um, they use a loophole that is, it's not prohibited to have a, um, kind of nearly identical packaging, for example, which is different from, let's say, Norwegian experience or uh, Swedish in some cases. So, so they are abusing this, uh, 
possibility of advertising non-alcoholic beverages of the same brand that they have, also alcoholic beer and wine, etc. So this is very interesting. Is it always clear that these are alcohol-free products or is it actually sometimes difficult to understand? So the, the focus is on the brand. They put the brand uh, into people's awareness, promote the brand, or how do they, what's the biggest issue for, for you with this? So, so one thing is that uh, simply from the distance, sometimes you don't even know if it's mm. a non-alcoholic or alcoholic mm. you, uh, beer, because it looks exactly the same. Mm. But, um, but uh, of course, you know that it's non-alcoholic just because the alcohol advertising is banned. So it cannot hang there. So, but uh, cognitively, it's, uh, it doesn't matter so much. You don't yeah. walk around as a person or as an adolescent or as a child you don't walk around and you try to read the small print yeah. you see the brand you see the bottle that looks exactly the same and this is what is being advertised it's beer drinking and then it is a separate brand so very few brands have specifically non-alcoholic beverages specific line specific brand for non-alcoholic beverages so this is what we're also focusing on and it will not be easy because um industry is really trying to defend that um, that area but uh, but that's uh, that's an area of focus yeah. and then also um, it would be very helpful if more countries have banned advertising overall yeah. because then it is simply more uniform uh, more uniform policy in in Europe more uniform policy in in the world would actually help we have well, for many years we have been talking about the uh, possibility of uh, alcohol strategy uh, that will help that would help countries to protect themselves from, from alcohol harm um, but uh, it seems to be still far far away yeah you mean the eu alcohol strategy that the european commission basically forgot i think in 2012 so by now uh, eight years ago mm -hmm. yeah Yes, uh, and it was not it was not for, forgotten. They were actively helped to forget because uh, yes. the countries have actually asked for help. The countries are initiating different uh, issues and uh, discussions on different subjects of harm. So mm. cross border is very much on the table. Uh, countries were quite active in the um, audiovisual directive discussions uh, and and how. But I have to admit that. Uh, it's, um, it does seem that uh, all these processes are very heavily industry influenced. Because as I said, there are no more excuses. There are many countries. First of all comes come Nordic countries. We have the lowest levels of alcohol related harm in the Nordic countries. These countries, they have uh, very restrictive alcohol control policies. They have monopolies and we know that it works. As an example, you have Denmark, which has much lower protection of their population, and it has much higher levels of harm. Mm. There is no need for proof for European Commission or for WHO, or even for politicians in countries. There is no need for more proof. Now comes Lithuania. Mm. We see that you introduce strict measures, you ban alcohol advertising, you increase the price, you reduce availability, and you really focus on implementing these measures which are quite cheap in addition. They're quite cheap and they bring money to the budget. And then you have 
really very nicely re nice reduction in harms, improved health, decreased mortality, improved quality of life, etc. So there is no excuse. Everybody knows that it works. And then you have uh, policies that are actually opposite of that. Mm. So we only can conclude out of this. There's only one conclusion that European Commission uh, omission of alcohol strategy is heavily influenced by alcohol industry and related industries. Because of course, alcohol industry is not alone in this. There is also media, there is also retailers, there's, um, there's all the support industry that mm. also feeds off alcohol industry. But the point is that they get the profits and we have to pay for the harm. And very often you pay with a really um, reduced quality of life for the rest of the population, for the rest of uh, taxpayers. Yeah, and I think this is very well put, this uh, kind of massive conflict between the private profit interests of the alcohol industry and associated industries and the public interest in health, safety, as you mentioned earlier, and the well-being or uh, quality of life. And uh, as you said, the communities in Lithuania, they benefited from support from their lawmakers. And uh, now we have this additional challenge in Europe that on EU level, the citizens also need and deserve that kind of support from European Union. Uh, mm. policymakers in the commission. So that's another uh, challenge then, I think. Uh, and the most important thing, I think, in this, in this, uh, in this especially policy discussions, because uh, since we have so much evidence, so much scientific evidence already, that at least three best buys, they work very well, that they are cost-effective, that they bring more money to the budget, that there is no more ideological gap between between the parties. Every party can adopt these measures without actually influencing uh, their own ideologies because it simply is not an ideology anymore. It is science. We know it works. If you want to reduce alcohol, we do know that these measures work. So any party could adopt. So the only, again, the only explanation is that the mm. parties which are against these policies, they either do not understand science or they're heavily influenced by the industry. Mm. And that is already the conflict of interest mm. of major kind between public health, as you say, and actually not even corporate profit because this is then personal profit because not all politicians have their, let's say, industry shares, etc. So they have to be gaining profit some some other way. So again, we go back to issues of corruption, we go back to undue influence also, you know, this is against competition, because the corrupt companies, they are gaining undue advantage in the market, etc. So there's a lot of issues. And uh, uh, the main point is that all parties, all ideologies can adopt effective alcohol control policy measures and should not be afraid of them. Yeah, I think this is a fantastic uh, final conclusion that um, alcohol policy is so uh, well proven scientifically that it uh, transcends political ideology and 
Um, we are for sure happy that we could uh, talk with you today to hear a little bit about the Lithuanian case because at least you mentioned uh, you managed to translate evidence into action to overcome these conflicts of interests and the political interference of the alcohol industry. As you have already uh, also well explained, you are never done. So um, there are two things for me to say. Thank you for this conversation and good luck for your continued efforts, really stellar efforts in um, protecting the measures, protecting the communities and countering the alcohol industry. So thank you very much, uh, Niola. Okay, thank you. Here are the alcohol issues you need to know about this week. In policy news, we talk about the first indications of success with minimum unit pricing in Wales. And we discuss what happens to alcohol harm when Uber comes to town. Wales and the story of minimum unit pricing. After Scotland, Wales was the second country of the United Kingdom of Great Britain to introduce a floor price for alcohol. In historic decision, the Welsh government introduced a minimum unit price of 50 pence per unit of pure alcohol, which came into force on March 2nd, 2020. Now, new survey data shows that alcohol use has declined since minimum unit pricing was implemented. Researchers from one poll on the request of Alcohol Change UK surveyed 1,000 Welsh adults on how the MUP impacted their alcohol use. The survey found the following. Three quarters of respondents said that they knew about MUP minimum unit pricing compared with just half of alcohol users in Wales when asked one year ago. Of the people who were aware of minimum unit pricing, 10% said they were consuming less alcohol because of it. What happens to alcohol harm when Uber comes to town? A new study has found that since the arrival of Uber and ride sharing in the United States, people have started to engage in more binge alcohol consumption. The trend is fueling already high levels of alcohol harm and exposes the flaws of alcohol industry promoted designated driver programs. The study looked at 117 urban areas of the United States in which Uber has been operating as early as 2012. For each city or town, health data on around 1,800 adults was analyzed. And the analysis was conducted on how often each individual in the study consumed alcohol over a 30-day period, as well as how often they engaged in binge alcohol use during the same period. The study found that since Uber came to town, the following could be seen. Binge alcohol use increased by up to 4% in respective towns and cities. People are engaging in more heavy episodic alcohol use on the days that they consume alcohol. The biggest impact was observed among men rather than women, younger rather than older adults and among the middle class. The new study adds to existing evidence that Uber fuels heavy alcohol use which was on the decline before Uber actually came to many US urban areas. The new evidence also highlights 
the flaws of the alcohol industry's designated driver programs. In this week's Science Digest, we look at new research into risk factors for adolescent alcohol use and trajectories of alcohol harm in adult life. A brand new study from Australia published in the journal Pediatrics sheds light on the risk factors for early alcohol initiation, heavy alcohol use in adolescents and what they might mean for the trajectory of alcohol harm later on in life. Previous conceptualizations of these trajectories lacked adjustment for known confounders of adolescent alcohol use, which the researchers addressed by modeling dynamic changes in alcohol consumption throughout adolescence while adjusting for covariates. Adolescents display heterogeneous trajectories of alcohol use. Initiation and escalation of alcohol consumption are important predictors of later harms and this new study adds solid new evidence to this conversation. The researchers found that having more alcohol-specific household rules reduced risk of early onset heavy alcohol use, meaning that parental rules matter and are protective factors. The researchers also found that having more substance-using peers increased the risk of early onset and heavy alcohol use. This shows that healthy environments and social norms are crucial for adolescents. And the study showed that early onset heavy alcohol use increased the odds of developing an alcohol use disorder in early adulthood. Clearly, parenting matters and so does peer influence in early adolescence for early alcohol initiation and harm later on in life. From a policy perspective, parents need support to address alcohol, such as the creation of healthy environments free from alcohol promotions. Since early initiation and heavy alcohol use throughout adolescence are associated with increased risk of alcohol-related harm during adulthood, alcohol policy solutions have a clear preventive effect in adulthood. In the Big Alcohol Watch this week, we expose how Coca-Cola is pushing into alcohol markets around the world, targeting youth and women. Coca-Cola is planning to push further into Big Alcohol with the launch of its first alcohol product in the United States by 2021, adding the American market to Asia-Pacific and Western European markets, where the company is targeting young and female groups. The new product is an alcohol pop marketed under the Mexican brand Topo Chico, which is known for their sparkling water. Previously, Movendi International reported how Coca-Cola joined with Big Alcohol and launched three alcohol pops in Japan in May 2018. Then the multinational went on to introduce a range of premium mixers for the UK in 2019. The corporate giant has also been pursuing the wine business, trying to acquire operations from Pernod Ricard. Coca-Cola seems to be aggressively pursuing the alcohol business, developing and marketing different products that appeal to different communities around the world. Joining Big Alcohol with the launch of alcoholic sugary mixers in both the Japanese and Western European markets, 
as well as the latest push into American markets, Coca-Cola clearly targets the growth markets of women and young alcohol users. These moves firmly cement Coca-Cola as big alcohol player. This matters for three reasons. First, Coca-Cola has been a vector in the NCD's tsunami through their sugary drinks. Now, with their ethanol drinks, they accelerate their contribution to the global health burden. Clearly, NCD's risk factors can no longer be divided into distinct corporate drivers. Second, more multinational corporations are pouring resources into alcohol and that means more fuel to the fire of alcohol harms. It shows that the ideology of hyperconsumption is reliant on and increasingly pushing for addictive substances and behaviors to drive their profits. And third, as hyperconsumption industries converge their lobbying, marketing, cultural and purchasing power grows. These are this week's alcohol issues highlights. If you have stories you would like us to cover or if you have suggestions for topics to explore, please drop us a message. To read more about this week's alcohol issues and to provide you with more details and sources, we have referenced all stories in the show notes so that you can easily find all alcohol policy highlights, the latest science digest and brand new revelations about the alcohol industry. Of course, we also link to more information about the Lithuanian alcohol policy success story. And if you have feedback, questions and suggestions, please get in touch. We provide contact details in the show notes. The Alcohol Issues podcast is made by Arin Pinho, Taraka Ranchigoda, Kristina Sperkova and Mike Dünnbier. Our theme music is by LF Music. That's it for the Alcohol Issues podcast this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. And see you next week.